All right. <clears throat> What's up, everybody? My name is Tyler Dunn with Dunn Deal Investments, LLC, where the deal is already done. And today is Monday, the 10th of June. Uh, we're on episode 87 of Goals and Updates. Uh, and I have a, I have, I feel like I have a pretty good show for you guys today. So we're on episode 87 of Goals and Updates. And how we do this show is I start off by doing uh, personal goals in my life. And then I do two topics. The two topics today are going to be uh, quiet people are silent killers. And then the second topic is going to be the difference between depreciate or depreciated information and appreciated information. And then we'll talk about Dundee Investments, which is uh, my business that I have right now. And we'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the show. So for anyone uh, that doesn't know, my name is Tyler Dunn. And I do a episode every Monday and Wednesday, which is called Goals and Updates. So I am trying to turn this into a podcast right now. We're on Facebook and Instagram Live. Uh, Instagram will post it, I think, for 24 hours Facebook um, will allow me to go a little bit longer than the hour. Instagram will kind of cut it off after an hour. So I, if you're on Instagram right now and you're watching this live or you're watching it after it, uh, it posts into the feed, I would highly, highly, highly recommend going on Facebook and watching the goals and updates uh, for a couple different reasons. First of all, the quality is probably a lot better on Facebook than Instagram for the sole purpose of um, audio quality because I use a um, high condensing mic as like, like physical um, podcast equipment. So the quality of the sound and the picture probably comes out a little bit better. I do use a, uh, um, what do you call it? A defaulted uh, webcam that's built into, or camera that's built into the computer for Facebook. So the quality still comes out pretty well, only for the fact that it's an updated MacBook um, or Air, AirBook, or what is it? Uh, MacBook Air, not book. Uh, yeah, MacBook Air, right? That type of laptop. So the quality comes out pretty good because it's recently, you know, recently updated computer. But I highly recommend going on Facebook and watching goals and updates. But how we how we normally do this show is I give you my uh, my updates in my life. So that's what we're gonna do right now. So um, the updates that I have for you guys for Monday, the beginning of this week, is um, you know nothing major, nothing major. But uh, you know I. Got my first check. I don't think I talked about this because I think that did happen to me uh, after like last episode, which was Wednesday. But I got my first uh, tax return check for Dundee Investments LLC, um, which I was pretty psyched on just because it's the first time ever doing business taxes. So for anyone that doesn't know uh, anything about business tax, uh, it's, it is a little bit difficult because when you're first starting off in a business, when you're a small business, it's not that bad, only for the fact that you don't tend to have a lot of assets, you don't tend to have a lot of employees, you don't tend to have a lot of things going for you um, for the first year of a business, right? So you don't have a lot of things that you have to calculate for yet because you're not really an established business yet. So um, and what I mean by like established, I don't mean that you're not qualified. I, I mean, in the sense that uh, you ha you know you haven't been a business for a long time. You haven't been an entity in um you know in business for a long time. So you don't have a lot of history, and you don't have a lot of things recorded yet. So um, doing t business taxes in the beginning wasn't wasn't too bad. I um I tracked everything. The, the hardest thing was going back through all my um my credit cards and debit card transactions and um, basically trying to learn the laws 
of what I can deduct, what I can't deduct, um, what I can, you know, what I should be recording and what categories. The categories I think are the hardest because it's not just income and expenses. It's, um, which you do have those obviously, but you have to classify the expenses and that's the hardest part. So when I sent in my tax, um, my tax, which is called a schedule C by the way. Um, and I actually messed up to be a hundred percent honest with you. And the reason I'm telling you this is because if anyone's thinking about starting a business, I kind of want to help those people out if they ever have to, you know, when, when you start your business and then it becomes where you have to file taxes. Uh, I want to help you not make the same mistake that I did because I don't really have anyone that I'm going to and asking for help. I'm kind of trying to, you know, um, learn from my trials and errors. But at the same time, I'm reading books. I'm trying to get as much knowledge as I possibly can on like tax deductions, uh, different you know, different elements that a business owner should be informed and should know. But um, the thing that I messed up on when I first did my business taxes was um, I I didn't file my personal and business together. And I use um, the software TurboTaxes or TurboTax uh, because it, it makes it a little bit more easier. A lot of the stuff you can link. So for instance, like my personal W, if I kept the same job for the same, for, you know, the next year when I filed the taxes, the W, um, oh, the W nine. I was gonna say W nine. I'm thinking about. I'm thinking. I'm still in work mode right now. But uh, if I had a W, damn, I can't think of it. Uh, a W four or can't think of the form. It's so funny too because I use it all the time for ta- uh, for taxes for personal. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a W four, right? But all that is is that's what your employer would give you, and then you put all the information through TurboTax. But if you did your um, taxes the next year, the same, you know, and you had the same, uh, same job, they would be able to digitally or digitally, uh, record all that same information and kind of drag it over. And I think then all you have to do is update the income and update, um, the, the, they, they should be able to pull it basically and get all, and get all your information. And it should take two seconds. The same thing would work for business taxes if you had self-employed. So the first thing I could definitely give you is definitely get the self-employed um, app and, and actually pay for that service. Because what I'm learning this time around is I didn't do that at first. I didn't know about self-employed. Um, I didn't even know TurboTax kind of had a thing for business until after I filed. And then they, and then they, uh, they gave me self-employed for, I think for the whole entire year for free as a first time business, uh, registered, uh, individual with them as a, as a registered member with them. So that's the coolest thing too. Um, now the other thing too, um, so that helps me a lot now because all I did was now I can link all my all my credit cards, all my accounts through that self-employed app. And then all I have to do is go on the app and classify everything, right? So make sure um, that this goes in that category, uh, that this is labeled as income, that's labeled as an expense. So, and same thing with mileage. So if you do a lot of driving as a, uh, you know, like a self-employed person, I definitely highly recommend getting that app because that app will definitely 100% help you out with the mileage tracker. That was something I wasn't doing my first year in business. I wasn't really tracking my miles. And right now I don't really do a lot of, um, I don't really drive a lot right now, but event, you know, this year I will be driving a lot more. So the only thing I was really tracking was driving to uh, Toastmasters because that's, that's labeled as a business expense, which I can deduct off of uh, my taxes for business mileage. Uh, because I'm using public speaking as a way to improve my my business skills, right? As a as a public speaker, or as a you know, I'm trying to get more into motivational speaking, but I can deduct that off my taxes. So 
what I did wrong the first time was I filed my personal and didn't file my a schedule C, which is personal and um, the t- business taxes together as, as uh, self-employed. And I didn't know that going into it when I first did it. So I had to wait like a couple of months for them to release the, um, it's called amendment X where I had to file an amendment with the, with the state. And then I had to then resubmit my business and my personal together. So that way they knew like, I'm all right, I'm self-employed. I'm a first time, uh, first year business. And then I had to submit that and mail it to them. And, uh, you can, if, if you're doing personal, you can mail it or you can e-file it not mail it. You e-file it, which is like, you know, obviously online, but for a business, you can't e-file, you have to mail it directly. So they print your forms out once you do it on the computer and you mail it. And for me, it was kind of weird because, um, you know, I've never, I don't really mail things. Uh, you know, I've, you know, I don't, I don't really mail anything. So for me, it's kind of weird when I have to fill out, um, the envelope, right? People probably laugh at me because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm very, very young. So for me, whenever I have to mail something, it's always a struggle for me and I have to look it up online. It's not hard. It's just, I have to look it up online. It's like, um, it's like basically filling out a check, right? Uh, older people probably would laugh at me about that, but most people my age and younger have never even, you know, most of them know what a check is, but they've never, ever had to fill out a check before. And only, you know, only government type of um, services, you have to fill out a check. So if you're going to, you know, now a lot of um, the car places, uh, uh, we call it uh, getting the name where you go and do like your registrations and stuff. I'm trying to think of, um, damn, <laughs> I'm trying to think real quick. The DMV, right? So if you went to the DMV to go get your driver's license, you used to have to write checks. Now they're accepting credit cards. But anything related where you have to mail it, you have, they won't take any like credit card information or anything like that. You have to send a check. So um, sometimes it takes me a couple minutes to to fill out a check because I'm not used, you know, I'm not not fast check writer because I don't write checks at all. Uh, it's very rare that I'd have to write a check. But my last job, I had to do it for a, um, a company. So, you know, I kind of understood it after doing it for them. But most, you know, most people my age won't even know how to really write a check. But so my advice to use, if you're a first time business owner and you're going to do taxes, make sure you file your personal and your business together, uh, not your personal and then your business, right? Because you have to file them together as uh, as personal income, basically, because you're a small business. So make sure you do that. And, and that way you don't have to wait for the amendment X. Cause then what happened was then I had to wait for amendment X and then things were going on with the government where we had a lot of, um, we had that government shutdown. And so they kept pushing off the date to file in an amendment X. So I had to keep waiting and waiting until it was available to fill out that form. And that was my problem for a while. So I kept, you know, I had to push it off, push it off, push it off, send it. Uh, you know, I sent in all my information and it came back pretty quick. Cause when I was on the phone with the, the, um, the IRS, right. Or, I had to call the IRS. So I called them and they're like, it's, it might take up to three to six months before you get the return. It actually came pretty fast. I think it was like a month, a month and a half. And I got my, um, my tax return back. Right. So I added a little bit more money since it, you know, it was, it was a business and I got your first year, you get some deductibles. Now, um, I got that. So that's cool. I'm trying to think what else I can update you guys on. That was like probably like the biggest update was I I got that. And even though it wasn't a lot of money I got back. Right. Cause you know, I'm not, uh, a big corporation. I don't get massive t- uh, tax deductions. It was. It still made me feel really good because I did something that most people probably don't do on their own. Most people, when they're in a business, they hire someone else to do the taxes. 
and even though eventually I'll get to that once I scale it big enough, you know, I'm gonna have to hire someone to do it for me. Um, I, I personally like having my hands in different things, right? And it, it made me feel good because I actually did something that was it wasn't very, you know, no one explains that to you. I have to do some research and I had to do it. And when I told my aunt I was gonna do it, my aunt was pretty impressed too because she's like, you know, my um, my cousin doesn't really do his, do his own taxes. He was having my aunt do it. And my, my aunt was like, hey, you're a smaller business. And she was like, I'm pretty impressed that you're actually trying to do your own taxes. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to learn it because I was doing it right when I was talking to them or at least trying to get some of it done because I had to go through a lot of paperwork. Like I said, I wasn't tracking everything. Um, digitally, I was tracking everything on paper. So it was a little bit difficult to, you know, categorize everything and then move it. But anyways, I got that. So that's awesome. Uh, I've got, I think I updated you guys that I got my two year degree. So I got that, which is pretty cool. My next goal is to get this social media thing going, which I think the paperwork's actually right in front of me. I got to go and retake this social media certificate and it's really hard. Uh, I only get, you get an hour and I believe it's 60 questions and you have to get an 80% or higher. And I keep getting a 75 to a 76%. And I printed out questions that I study every single, um, you know, I studied for a while and I retook the test like maybe 10 or 12 times, but there's so much information on this test that it, it is a little overwhelming, right? I forget some of the questions, you know, I'm being timed, so I'm kind of trying to rush through it. And I really want to get this because originally I paid for it. It was about a $200 test. The, the, test it, the test you had to pay for to get qualified and get a certificate which I, you know, and it was really long. The videos took me probably like, it must have taken, if you went straight through it, it was probably going to take you about 48 hours to maybe 72 hours. So, you know, if you went a whole day trying to get all these videos done, it probably would have taken you about three days, maybe two days if you got a lot, you know, if you actually crammed in a lot of it. But it was a lot of information. It's talking about um, video advertising. I was talking about social media. It was all about social media. And as a marketer, it's, you know, it's kind of good to have that on my resume because that's probably, um, if I ever keep going down a corporate route, it, it's probably definitely going to be in marketing, right? So it's good to have those certificates and things that'll help me if I ever need a job, you know, God forbid something happens to my company and I need, you know, need some work. I can I have these qualifications and these degrees and certificates that'll help me outdo the next person that I'm competing with for a job. And it was a $200 certificate, right? I paid the 200 because in my mind, originally I was going to do it. Uh, um, the two people that were doing it with me at the previous job I was working at at Broward College, uh, they were kind of waiting for her to pay for the test, my manager. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to wait. I want to get it done now. Because if I wait, I'm not going to end up doing it. Now, I don't know if they passed it and they got their certificates because um, they didn't seem too enthusiastic about it. And I was the only one that was like psyched on it. I'm like, I'm definitely going to take it. And I took $200 out of my own pocket. And I told myself, you know, it's, it's, it's self-improvement, right? It's an investment in myself. You can never go wrong with investing in yourself. And so I just took $200 right away, like right after I finished the last video. And I went and tried to do the test. And what ended up happening was I told my manager later on because they're like, oh, we're waiting to get reimbursed. Not even reimbursed. We're waiting for her to pay for it through the card. And I told her and she's like, well, you should have waited. But she's like, you can probably send it to our accountant and the accountant will basically be able to refund you that. 
hopefully. She she wasn't really too sure. And this was like the two weeks before I was about to leave for this job that I'm at right now with Cross Country Home Services. And um, I, you know, I, I put it through. I'm like, it's not gonna hurt. You know, worst case scenario is, I, is basically I I put two hundred dollars into myself, right? Like I'm worth the two hundred. Uh, and the best case scenario is she actually gives me the two hundred back, right? Broward College will pay me back the two hundred dollars, and I'll I'll basically get a free certificate, right? That was like the best thing that could happen, and it never hurts to ask, right? You, I, I tell people this all the time. You lose one hundred percent of the time you don't ask for anything, right? Uh, there's obviously a still slim possibility or maybe even a big possibility that you'll still lose if you ask for it, but you'll always lose 100% of the time, right? If you don't ask for, for something. So I asked for it. They gave me the $200 back and I said, damn, like I got to go get this certificate now for 110% because that's a free certificate, right? And it's, and it's information that I can use in my business and corporations that I eventually may work for down the road. So, you know, I, I got to go back and get that done. It's definitely on my goals. Uh, you know, it's a list, a list of things that I'm trying to get done. It's definitely on there. Uh, I'm going to try to get it, you know, by this week and maybe I'll get it, you know, maybe tomorrow I'll work on it because tomorrow I'm off. I'm going to be working a little bit on my business, done deal investments, but tomorrow I'm definitely going to try to get that done and just maybe go through some videos and, you know, I might have to take a couple more days to get through the videos, but I'm gonna try to go through the videos again, take some notes and we'll see what happens. And I'll update you guys once I get that and what's going on with that. But that's another big update I can think of off the top of my head. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, I dealt, you know, today I dealt with uh, a pretty aggressive customer, but I got what I needed, right? So um, the reason I'm going to tell you this one is just to show you that, you know, sometimes, you know, even though I'm, I'm on here and I'm telling you like I'm doing certain things, I do get frustrated and I do mess up and I, you know, I don't always, you know, 100%. I committed to this, but... The reason I'm going to tell you this is so you don't think I'm perfect, right? Like I'm not coming on here and showing you that I'm perfect. I'm showing you that I make mistakes too. But um, today I got an email from the service provider and this guy was pissed, right? And I was trying to get the invoice for the customer. So we already had his W-9. He sent me the W-9 and this way we could pay him directly. And I went to, um, I needed the invoice because we didn't have it on file and they already created the job, which was good. That means his information is in our server. Now I just need the invoice so that way I can send it to that department for accounts payable and that account um that department accounts payable can pay him that amount on the invoice whatever is approved from from our company right so i asked the guy i'm like hey i need the invoice for this customer the guy comes back and he's like i'm tired of this you know i've been waiting since february uh we're in june now so i guess he was trying to say that he was waiting you know for you know a little bit over four months and i'm like look i, I totally and like uh, you know he's cursing cursing on the email and i'm like look man I, I totally understand where you're coming from that you're frustrated but i'm like i need the invoice right and i'm like i'm working you know i'm working endlessly hard for you uh, to make sure all this information is in here and that's why i'm contacting you because i don't have the invoice you know i wouldn't be requesting this if i didn't if i didn't need it right so i need the invoice and so he replies back i go back and forth to them for like four emails and the thing that frustrates me with people the, the biggest thing that frustrates me with uh, certain people is, um, and this goes with customers at this position too, where uh, they complain instead of just sending me what I requested, right? So all that guy had to do is send back. I mean, he still could have complained. I didn't really care about the complaining part. The thing that irritated me was he sent me four emails back and forth. And every single time in every email I replied back to him, I said, um, I need the invoice. 
right? Replies back, complains instead of, you know, going and finding the invoice for the customer and sending to me as he's complaining, writes me four emails with nothing attached. And I said, look, man, and I, and I told him that straight up on the email too, by the way. I, I said, you know, um, this is the fourth email you sent me back where you're complaining and all I'm trying to do is help you. And I'm like, if you know, you could have, if you would have just sent the invoice, the three emails before you, you, you started complaining, I was like, we would already, already be done and the work would have moved forward and we would have been in, in reimbursement process. But I'm like, you still continue to complain. And I'm like, it's not, it's not going to help you. Like I'm telling you, I need the invoice. So you could, you know, and then I just, you know, I didn't really, I said it in that, that way, but you know, obviously I worded it a little bit differently. I'm just trying to explain it to you. But um, in that sense, you know, I was trying, you know, I, I got the invoice, right? He sent me the invoice. After that, he kind of shut, you know, shut up, didn't write me back anything, sent the invoice, I attached it, did my thing and wrote him back and said, you know, I appreciate for your, you know, appreciate your cooperation, put the invoice in, have a great day, right? But the thing that I wanted to tell you was, um, you know, sometimes I get frustrated. Like I read that email and I'm like, come on, man. Like you're really gonna, you know, I'm going out of my way to help you, right? I'm going out of my way. Like I don't get paid enough to do this, right? Um, so human nature, um, I, you know, I'm a human too. So some of the stuff that I tell you, sometimes I forget. That's why I'm trying to, you know, you know, imply it because, you know, most of the stuff I'm telling you guys, I'm really talking to myself. I'm trying to reinforce everything that I'm telling you so that I reinforce it in my mind and I have the better mindset as well as I'm helping you out with your mindset, right? Um, because when I read that email, I was really pissed. You know, I get it. I get in there. I'm at, I get to work at, uh, you know, 10 in the morning. And people are like, damn, that's, that's kind of late. But that's what they scheduled me as. Uh, you know, I'd work earlier, but um, they want, you know, they want someone there at 10 because they want me to stay later. Most people leave around 4.30, 5.30, you know, like 6. So they want someone there for that extra 30 minutes or that extra hour working on emails. So, you know, that's why I said I'll do 10 to 6.30 for, uh, to help the company out. But the, the point that I wanted to make was, you know, I'm human too, right? I read that email and I was like, you know, automatically like everything inside of me is like, damn, like, like why? Like why is this guy doing this, Right. And I got pissed and, you know, I, I had to take a second, take a deep breath. And I had to think on how to get him to send me the invoice, right? Okay. This guy's really pissed. How can I get him to send me the invoice? Right. And that's what I did. And I got the invoice, but, um, the, the point, the point being is, you know, I'm human just like you. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably make mistakes along the way. You know, in fact, I am going to make mistakes along the way. Right. But uh, it's it's recognizing that you're making mistakes and you're trying to correct it, and that's the difference between the average person and the you know the obsessed or the person that that wants to take their life to the next level. It's people that are trying to constantly catch themselves making mistakes, and they're not trying to really fix everyone else in the world. They're trying to fix themselves and self improve on themselves. Because to be hundred percent honest with you, you're not going to be able to fix everybody else right? It, it, it's impossible. Uh, that's the only thing that I, I think is impossible. And I, and I never say it's impossible, but the truth is you can't fix everybody else, right? Uh, they have to want to fix themselves. Or they have to want to do better for themselves. And most of the time people don't know what they're doing. Like most people are misinformed. Most people don't understand that, you know, the way they act and the way they live reflects back on themselves and overall, it, it, they're not going to achieve anything. And then they're going to question. And those are the people that get mad all the time. And those are the people that go, I need to get paid more. 
those are the people that go, you know, I don't get paid enough to do this. Uh, I don't understand why I'm not getting paid more, right? And I hear that all the time from the people around me at my and in my department where they're like, um, this. I'll give you another example where um, the girl behind me went to a meeting. They took two people from my department and had a meeting. And you know, I I obviously don't care, uh, you know, about the meeting, but the person next to me cared a lot and asked her, hey, hey, like, what was that meeting about? Right. I'm too busy. I'm too busy working. I'm not really like paying attention to that, but obviously I'm working and I can hear the person next to me. Right. It's not like, um, I'm working and I, and I can't hear anyone. Like, obviously I can hear people. Right. And she goes, Hey, what was that meeting about? And she goes, Oh, they want me to make more calls for X, Y, and Z purposes. And they want me to do a little bit more work. And the, the girl, the, the lady next to me goes, are they going to pay you more? And she goes, I think they said, um, like, 25 cents more or something like that. And she goes, Oh, I would not do it for 25 cents. I'd do it for at least a dollar. Right. So the point that I'm trying to make off this statement is the people there don't want to work, right? They want to be paid more, right? They want to be paid more, but they're not willing to work hard. And they expect to get paid more by doing nothing, just by being with a company for a certain amount of years. And unfortunately, you know, that's the mindset of, of most Americans. Uh, most, you know, most Americans think that they need to, to work. Um, you know, they just have to show up. If they show up, they'll get paid more. And that's not the, the, that's not the issue. The issue is that you're not willing to work hard and that's why you're not getting recognized. It's why you're not seeing improvements in your pay. It's why you're not seeing improvements in, and being more happy at, at that position or that job or that company. Um, and that's the real issue, right? It's, it's, they don't have the work ethic. And that's just me being bluntly honest with you uh, on goals and updates. And that's what you're going to get from me. Like, it, it's just going to be blunt. You know, it's going to be honesty. Like, I don't lie. Um, I hate when people lie to me and I catch them in lies. Uh, I'll never trust those people again. In fact, they'll be put on the bottom of the list of people that I'll probably reach out to for anything. And, um, you know, it, it goes a long way. Honesty goes a long, 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 long way. Right. You trust people that are honest. You don't trust people that are dishonest. It's just, you know, it's just the facts. And, you know, uh, I, and like, you can't tell, like, you know, I wish I could tell the person next to me or the people that work there, like, Hey man, if you would just work a little bit harder and stop asking for things, right. And stop asking for more money and stop slacking and work a little bit harder. I wish I could tell those people that, but if I tell them that, you know, it's like, it's like telling a drug addict that, you know, is a drug addict, like your friend who's a big drug addict. And you like, you know, if you tell him, he's not going to believe you. He's going to be like, yeah, whatever. Like, like F you. Right. And I like, I know if I tell these people that I'm working with that, you know, if they would just work harder, right. Which they don't want to hear. Like I don't, most people don't want to hear that. If they just work harder, stop asking for more money and commit and, and, you know, show up on time and do certain things they would get paid. They'd probably get paid more. They'd be able to go into a different department and probably get paid way more than they're getting paid. But the problem is if I tell them that they're just going to tell me that either a, I'm stupid. I don't know what I'm talking about or B. Yeah. Like that sounds great and all, but that's not going to work, right? They're not going to believe it. It'll work. And that's really the, the big problem with, uh, with a lot of, uh, companies in the United States of America, in my opinion is, you know, the employees don't want to work. And they expect things. And especially in the company that I'm in right now, it's what everyone expects. Everyone complains. Oh, like, you know, I don't want to do this. Like, 
we lose a lot of money. You want to know the biggest issue at my company? Um, not my, you know, not my company, Don't Deal Investments, but the company I work for um, at that warranty company is if I make a mistake, right? And this is where you know the employees there do not care, right? They, they're not happy. They're not satisfied. Is I make a mistake, right? And what we have is called exceptions. So let's say I'm doing owner co. And I open up a, let's say it's one of our own service providers and I'm supposed to open up a certain exception, which all the exception means is that the, the department that's supposed to work on that service job for whatever reason, like if that customer is supposed to get directly paid, I'm uh, supposed to open up an exception that notifies that department and they go ahead and they go forward and they reimburse the customer. Or if it's owner code, they have to go and and reimburse, uh, you know, like one of our service providers or whatever the case is, right? But those exceptions notify those departments. Now, if I open up the wrong exception, two things are probably going to happen. One is they're going to coach me, and they're not, and they're going to make me do it when all they had to do is just change the exception from open to pending, or you know, change the exception, close the one exception, open up the other exception. Uh, so we just wasted time uh, with the coaching, which, you know, there's no there's no problem with the coaching part. Or they won't even coach anyone. They'll leave it like that, and they'll just write in the notes that the person opened up the wrong exception, and then it'll go months at a time, and the customer will reach out and go, hey, I spoke to you guys about a month ago. What happened? Like, I, I didn't hear from you guys. I didn't get paid. The service provider didn't get paid. And so the person that did the notes and left the exception, you know, just closed the exception and then left it and didn't open up the right exception, uh, you know, probably told themselves like, I don't get paid enough to, to do extra work, right? I'm not happy here. I'm not getting paid enough. Uh, you know, it's the other person's fault. They didn't open up the right exception. Screw, screw them, screw this company and screw them. I'm not going to open up that exception. And so now the customer got screwed over, right? So that's how, you know, the people that I'm working with do not really care about their position. Cause if, it, if I came across it, I'd just be like, okay, they open up the wrong exception. Maybe I'll send a coaching um, and I'll just change it. I'll be like, hey, I, I changed this from claim status to owner coat. It was owner coat wasn't a claim status uh, job, right? I, and I would do that. I have no problem doing that. But the problem is a lot of us, you know, a lot of the, the, the employees at that company don't want to work together. Uh, they just they just don't care. They, they just don't think the company's worth it. So, and that's why we're receiving a lot of complaints. I, you know, and, and personally, in my opinion, I, you know, I, I, I don't really know what's going to happen to this company. You know, I, I don't have long-term goals with this company. I mean, I, I, I kind of do, but in the, in the end, I have a lot of short-term goals with this company, meaning like, you know, I'm only really planning to be with this company for three years, um, which to some people sounds like a long time, but three years is really not a long time to stay with the company, right? Uh, most people at this company stayed with them for 15 to 20 years. I'm only thinking about, you know, three years. It's a, you know, to me, it's a stepping stone. But the point that I'm trying to make here is, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to this company. Uh, this company has, uh, you know, the, the employees inside don't really care enough and it's starting to reflect the company as a whole. And I deal with a lot of complaints, uh, you know, where someone didn't do something and it reflected on, you know, it screwed the customer over, it screwed the service provider over call. Sometimes I call service providers and they're pissed and they're like, I don't want to have anything to do with your company. So you know, I, yeah, I don't, you know, it's a, it's a massive corporation. I don't think it's going to go any, anytime soon. Right. Like, I don't think it's going to happen like the next year, but eventually it's going to start losing profit. It's going to start, you know, it's eventually going to start shrinking. 
right? It's possible for a big, massive corporation to shrink. And I think that's what's going to start happening is they're going to have to start probably letting people go. They're going to have to, they're going to have to do something to conserve the money because they're, they're losing a lot of customers. Um, and that's due to customer service there. And, you know, unfortunately there's, there's nothing I can do on that. end. it's something that the company itself as a whole has to understand and realize. And unfortunately big companies like that, where they're dealing with, um, their, their, uh, their net worth in that company is, uh, half a billion dollars, like $500 million. So what normally happens in, in a corporation like that is there's so many different departments. There's so many different, um, structures to that, that company that the owner normally can't see all that. And so he doesn't really know, but that's, that's also a, a indicator that the owner is not really getting his hands involved in the company as much as he probably really should. Um, but you know, it is what it is. So those are my personal updates. We're going to go into these two topics right now. The first topic that I'm going to be talking about today is uh, quiet people are silent killers. Give me one sec. Now, what I mean by quiet people are silent killers. Whoops. Drop my water. What I mean by quiet people are silent killers, what I'm referring to are the people that uh, maybe in high school, right? I'm going to give you a couple examples um, of this, but what I'm kind of talking about is like people that you know that maybe aren't the most sociable um, people that you know, but they're just very quiet. They pay attention. They're very observant. Those are mostly the quiet people, the people that don't talk a lot. And what I mean by silent killers is those people just collect data, right? The people that can shut their mouth and listen a lot are the people that are constantly observing their surroundings. They're constantly uh, taking in information from other people. And that's, that's how I was when I first started. Um, when I was in high school, I didn't talk a lot. You know, it's like my whole entire life. The only time I really started talking, I think, was senior year. Um, and that's when I started kind of breaking out of my shell. Once I got to college, I kind of was on my own. In high school, you're kind of catered to. Um, I, I was labeled dyslexic. So I'm dyslexic, obviously, but I was labeled in up, I think, elementary school. Like I want to say third or fourth grade up until high school, basically. I was labeled um, as uh, dyslexic. And so I got special treatments where I could take longer on my tests. High school, I didn't really use the extra time. I never needed it. Um, I, I got, so I got the extra time on like FCATs. Um, now I think they're trying to get rid of the FCATs and, and stuff like that. Now they're trying to, I don't know what they're kind of doing in the school system for like high school and stuff like that. Like the actual, um, public schools, like, you know, and it's from high school and below, but what I can tell you is, um, I got, you know, special treatment basically cause I was dyslexic. And so they, they label that as a disability. Now, um, I didn't talk a lot. I talked to people that I was close to and I was comfortable with and it kind of, how it kind of played out was I would talk to you and I talked to you a lot. If I, if I was comfortable around you now, if you were just a stranger off the street, if you were just some random kid that was at, you know, in a class with me, I, the chances are, I probably really didn't talk to you much. And what I would do is I would listen. I was a good listener. I listened to everything and I'm just taking in information, taking in information. I'd sort out the information and I'd be like, all right, like this sound, this sounds interesting. That, that sounds like, you know, BS. And I'd sort through the information. And what I mean by silent killer is if you listen more than you talk, 
you collect a lot of information and information is potential power. You obviously have to take action. That's the real, the real power behind knowledge is after you learn it, you got to take the action, but um, you, you take in all this information and you're already ahead of the game because most people will talk, they won't listen. And then within the next couple hours, they don't even remember what the other person was talking about and they don't have good listening skills because they're constantly talking. You know, the people that constantly interrupt uh, other people when they're talking, those are the people that will never succeed in life because they, those are the people that actually value themselves over other people, right? The people that constantly talk over other people because they don't really care what the other person has to, has to say. They, they just talk over the other person because they think they're right 110% of the time and, and they're never probably wrong. And so they don't care for the other person's input on information or you know, a debate or anything related to some type of um, information, which is like everything. Any, anytime you talk to someone, that's communication of information, right? So those are the, that's, why, that's why I labeled quiet people are silent killers because they, they really are in a sense. They're constantly listening. They know when to talk and when not to talk. And most of the time, they're probably not going to talk if they're really quiet. But I developed that skill very early where I was uh, able to listen very well and, and depict the information the other person was giving me. And I'd be able, like I said, you know, as I got a little bit older, I got into, um, I, I got into college. That's when I started kind of going and looking at uh, different sources of information where I'm like, okay, you know, I want to learn business. And then I got, you know, I found a mentor, Grant Cardone. I started listening a lot with Grant Cardone. Um, I became more uh, conservative as I got older. And I was like, all right, you know, I, I want to listen to more conservative news. So then I found sources that I liked and I, you know, like Ben Shapiro, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I like listening to his stuff. Uh, Steven Crowder, uh, even though, you know, a lot of people probably don't like Steven Crowder. Um, if you're on the other opposing side, because he does make, you know, he's a comedian, he makes a lot of jokes, but, um, you know, he tends to stick to factual stuff. That's why he's making a lot of the jokes. But so I try to, I started, you know, I started finding who out, you know, who Tyler Dunn was. And then I started kind of sourcing out the information where I'm like, all right, this source is probably good information. Uh, this one's probably better. This one probably isn't the best information or the, the you know, the truth. Started seeking out more of truthful information because over time, I started listening to everyone's opinions, everyone's diverse uh, theories and ideas. And I was able to go, okay, this one's probably right. There's information to back this up. And this is probably wrong. There's not enough information to back this up. So I was able to, um, you know, just listen most of the time and collect all this data. And, you know, that's probably why uh, for me, data analytics is probably the best field in marketing for me because I'm very, I'm, I, I analyze a lot of different stuff. I'm, I'm very good at listening and, and taking the information and going, okay, from the information I have, like, this is what we have logically. This is what the outcome would probably be. Right. And that's why I'm pretty, like, as you could probably tell, as I talk to you with, within the goals and updates, you'll see that I'm very analytical and I'm very logical. And, and that's, you know, I, I, that's where I got that from because I start collecting information from my teachers. Um, I'd be like, all right, this teacher is probably not the best person for this. And then I remember, I remember, let me give you some examples because I'm kind of ranting a little bit, but the, the best examples I could tell you where I learned how to really listen. And I was like, okay, this person's probably pretty good. And this person's probably not. I had a teacher in senior year of high school and the teacher was talking about leasing and owning cars. And the teacher um, at the time uh, would, would show us like CNN, 
uh, which, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, CNN is, is, you know, not the best place to go get your information from. Um, you know, half the people probably join this by disagree. Actually, probably most of the people on my friends list probably disagree, but um, that's just the truth. Like CNN is not the best place to go to, but he would play those and we'd listen, you know, different things. Like uh, at the time there's like, um, I think we were in like Afghanistan. It was like during the Afghanistan war and you shown like different things, but he would talk after each one and he would explain his own opinion. And he would tell you like, Hey, this is my opinion. Um, what you saw was kind of like a different diverse opinion. And what he was doing was it was more of a, a government type of, I think it was an American government class. And what he was trying to do is he was trying to show you an opposing opinion. And then he would talk about his opinion. And so he'd be like, you know, they, they, they mentioned this fact and they're kind of right, but you know, they, they, they don't really talk about this or, um, you know, you should probably get more into this. And he was an excellent teacher. I don't remember his name. Uh, you know, I went in, in high school, I went to uh, JP Terabella. I don't know if he still teaches there. That was like five years ago. Uh, yeah, like about five years ago. So I don't know if he still teaches there, but amazing, amazing teacher. And there's tons of those people out there too. There's a lot of crappy teachers, but there's, there's a lot of good, you know, some of them are very, very good teachers and they teach you a lot of good information, some life lesson stuff. And he was talking about buying and leasing cars. And he was like, you know, I always lease my cars. I, he's like, I like the fact that I get a new car every three years, but he's like, there's some, you know, like some, sometimes there's a benefit to financing a car or buying a car. And he was like, but honestly, he's like, leasing would be a better option. If you can stay under the mileage, it really comes down to, uh, if you can stay under the mileage and if you're going to go over, it's probably better to buy a car and finance it. And so at that time, you know, I, I just remember all that stuff. Uh, senior year, I also had a business class. That's why I really got into business. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about that class because that class ultimately defined my, my passion for business. And it, def I figured out who I was within that class because I went in there and, and that business class taught me everything. It taught me about investing, which, you know, he talked a lot about stocks. That was the only investment he really talked about. But, um, he also talked about the handshake. The handshake is the most important element in business. It, and the first impression that's part of the first, uh, first impression is, is the handshake uh, dressed for success. That's why you always see me on these podcasts. I'm dressed pretty professionally, probably like 99% of the time you're going to see me with a shirt and tie. Cause I, I film these right after work. And you know, I, I want to have an element on this podcast. I want to have an element that, you know, I'm, I'm showing up, uh, for me, dress for success means that I'm committed. It means that I'm showing up and I'm, and I'm fully presented right now. Uh, nothing else matters right now. Right now I'm showing up to do goals and updates. Right. So that's why I dress for success. Same thing with work. That's why I dress after work. Uh, you know, I do it to stand out, but at the same time, I really do it for a self. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, self, uh, self worth type of element, right? It shows that I'm there for me. I'm showing up to work. I'm here to prosper. I'm not here to quit. I'm here to show up. I'm going to work and I'm going to do whatever you need me to do. Right. So that's why I dress with the shirt and tie. And that's why you see most people in a corporate position don't wear the tie. They might just dress up like this and have the collar open. And it's a little, you know, they call it business, uh, a business professional. I don't consider that business professional. That's a slacker. He doesn't want to wear the tie. He doesn't have enough worth in himself to wear the tie, right? So that's why I wear the shirt and tie, by the way. But all that stuff I learned in that business class. Now, of course, that was the class where most people did not show up. Either they were extremely late and they missed a lot of important information or they just didn't attend the class. They skipped it. 
And that was the class where I think uh, if most high schoolers would have taken that class, it would be a whole different story with debt. It would be a whole different story with uh, personal finance. It, 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 that, that class would have changed their, their whole entire life. Um, you know, instead of being in, you know, a lot of those kids that probably skipped are probably in a lot of debt, credit card consumption, probably took out student loans to try to go to college because their parents told them to do it. Uh, you know, a bunch of different things that he was talking about and a very, very smart individual. And after I graduated, after I walked in high school, he was one that was passing out different paperwork. I think the diplomas and I shook his hand and I said, you know, I really appreciate your class. You know, you taught me a lot of things and, you know, it's things that I'm going to take with me for the rest of my life. And I really appreciate you uh, trying to help, you know, the youth basically, like people like myself. And, but that was the class that really defined me out of any other classes, that business class. Cause that's when I learned that I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. This is why I think differently. That's why I'm this way. I'm a businessman. That's what it was. Right. And I, and I started thinking because my problem was in high school, I thought differently than everyone politically. Um, you know, obviously it's also an element of where I'm living. I'm living in Coral Springs, Florida. It's very, very democratic, um, very liberal. Uh, you know, there's not, a, it's not, a, you know, obviously there's conservatives here, you know, obviously I'm living here, but the point of the matter is it's a very, um, very left wing area in Broward County. And I would tell people my opinions on different things and people would be like, Oh, like you're stupid. You, you like, you don't know anything. Like, you know, they'd shut, they'd shut your opinion down. They, you know, basically tell you you're stupid. And I, and I couldn't understand why I'm like, I don't understand. It's just logical thinking. It's just logical thinking. Like I'm not, I'm not thinking crazy outside the box. I'm just putting logical facts together. And I'm like, you know, it, it makes sense. And this is before I was even really political. Like I didn't know any of the, I didn't know any of the elements that, that uh, the politicians were talking about. I didn't know anything about, um, you know, uh, any of the political issues like gun control and all that stuff. I was just literally thinking logical at the time. And I'm like, well, it makes sense on this. And this would make more sense this way. And then I, you know, and then when I started growing up and I started going into, you know, not, obviously I'm not um, a politician or anything, but when I started kind of defining myself and I'm like, okay, I got to pick a political side. I can't be independent because independent in my mind just means that I didn't clarify my beliefs and I didn't clarify who I am. I'm, I, I can't, I couldn't decide which side I would take or what element I agree with. So I'm going to go independent. I don't know who I am. And I'm like, so I got to define myself. And as I started going down the list, I realized I was conservative. And that's why a lot of people are telling me different elements. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's very, very left wing over here. No wonder why I'm saying this. I'm thinking logical. And people are telling me I'm crazy and they're pushing me to a different direction. Uh, it's because they, they can't logically wrap their heads around what I'm saying. They're, they, they, they believe this way, right? Um, and like certain elements like business, I always had like ideas and I try to, you know, I, I, I'd worked at, I worked at Saveology Iceplex. And um, at the time I was, uh, you know, that's when I started breaking out of my show uh, when I was quiet. Um, I kind of feel like I'm drifting off the topic a little bit, but let me give you this, this one and then we'll move on. But, um, the point is I was very, very quiet and I developed these skills. So when I worked at Saveology Iceplex this is another example I'm going to try to give you. I worked at Saveology Iceplex for anyone that's living in uh, Coral Springs or close by. Uh, most people will know that ice rink. Now it's called the Panthers ice den, but at the time it was called Saveology when I first worked there and or incredible ice was the first one and then i think i, I think i started working there with a saveology but 
um, at the time I was working there and I was the, I was the, um, I was working in food and beverage. I was the cashier and they charged a lot of money for coffee. A uh, small cup was two twenty five, and then a large cup, which was like a little bit bigger, not by much, was two seventy five. So what that company did, what we were working for, was they're like, oh, okay, two twenty five. If they complain about two twenty five, they'll buy the two seventy five because it's only fifty cents more. They're gonna get a little bit more cup, you know. They're gonna get more coffee. It was smart as hell at the time. I didn't understand it until I got you know more invested in business, but. They're like, oh, for 50 cents more, they could get a little bit more. And we just made 50 cents on the coffee. And and obviously coffee is dirt, dirt cheap. And they're overpricing the coffee like hell, right? So they're making a massive profit off this coffee. Because most of them just go, oh, it's only 50 cents more. I might as well go for the 275. They bitch about it, right? They'd be like, oh, that's so expensive for coffee, man. I could just go down the street to Dunkin' Donuts and get a cup of coffee for $1.25, and be better coffee. And the coffee there was terrible, by the way. Uh, they all complained about the coffee there. They're like, oh, we uh, like this is terrible coffee. Um, you're charging me so much, and it's such shitty coffee. Um, and that, like, legit, like, their words, not mine. And so I went to my manager, and I said, hey, listen. At the time, I like I said, I didn't know I was, I, I was really, like, a business person. I was just like, hey, listen. Here's what I would do. A lot of people complain about the coffee here. A lot, you know, your customers buy it, but I'm telling you, like you, you're losing, um, you're losing, you could get a lot more profit if you would just change the coffee. Right. And my idea was that I presented to my manager, um, who I'm, I'm still very, very good friends with right now, but I, I pitched it to her and I'm like, listen, if, if these are the, these are the, these are the coffee companies I looked up that are the most, uh, the most popular within the United States. And I gave her, um, I don't remember all the coffee, uh, you know, the coffee companies I gave her, but I listed them and they were all inexpensive coffee companies. Um, and I'm like, Hey, listen, this is what I would do if I was in your shoes. I, I said, and this is the best idea I could come up with. I'm like, if we put three or four of these coffee companies on a, on a survey, on a sheet of paper saying that we're going to survey these and hand them out to the customers that are buying the coffee and just say, Hey, I understand, you know, you might not like the, the brand of coffee we're using. We, we appreciate your business. We know you buy coffee here all the time because it's the same customers over and over and over again. Uh, they just recycle them. But I'm like, and I'm like, if we just tell them like, hey, we appreciate your business, just take two seconds, circle the, the brand that you would prefer here. We're just doing a survey to try to get better coffee into the establishment. And, you know, they would do it. And if they didn't do, they would be stupid. And then, you know, then, then it's whatever. It's not, it's not, it's not our problem. Like we're trying, but I'm telling you like nine out of the 10 people would probably try to get the better coffee. Right. And those are just small things of customer service that I was trying to hint towards. Like, Hey, like, you know, even though the cut, you know, like I don't agree with the customer half the time. And I'd tell my manager that I'm like, if we did this, this would help our sales. Right. And my manager is like, yeah, that's a great idea, but it never went through. And Partially, it's probably my fault because as I learned on later, I should have followed up more with her. I didn't. I pitched the idea. She kind of she kind of turned it down. She kind of denied me on the offer. And then later on, you know, I, she was like, yeah, I probably should have done that. Right. So I didn't follow up with her enough. She told me no. And I just accepted it and I moved on. And I was like, well, you know, I, I can't help. I can't help you then if you're going to tell me no. Should have kept following her and pressuring her a little bit more. But <coughs> on that note. 
what I ended up realizing was, uh, you know, those were like the small things that I realized. I'm like, oh, I'm a businessman, right? I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm a businessman. Like, I'm like, oh, that, that explains why I try to do this. I tried to help the customer in this area. I tried, you know, I tried to do X, Y, and Z. He's, oh, it's, I'm a businessman. So I'm, I'm finding my way as I'm getting a little bit older. And, uh, you know, I was really quiet in those days. So I had a lot of thoughts to myself that I didn't really share with people. But um, so th- that's what I mean by quiet people are, are silent killers. Because you're not expecting the silent person to basically, you know, give that idea or the silent person or the quiet person to, to overextend uh, something that, you know, they're doing, right? So that's, that's what I mean by that topic, why people are silent killers. Now, we're going we're gonna to go into the second topic, which is going to be uh, um, the difference between a depreciate, depreciated information and appreciated information. And, and the reason I came up with this one was um, I had a friend that just recently, what I call the, the YouTube diet. Uh, he watches YouTube a lot and sits home and just watches. And he said he watches like the most random stuff. I, um, like random, random, random stuff, right? Like uh, someone hurting themselves or something, right? And he, and most people actually, by the way, actually do this, by the way. They go on YouTube and I've gotten caught on the cycle too where you're watching a video. It's very, very interesting. And then on the very right side of it, it's like recommended videos. And so you're like, oh, like, uh, like that looks interesting. So then you press that and then it ends up being a 30 minute video that leads into another 20 minute video that leads into another 30. And by the time you know it, you wasted four or five hours of your time watching these videos that that are like nothing. They're not worth anything. Like, they're not helping you in society. They're not doing anything. Um, those are the depreciating, in, uh, depreciated type of information I'm talking about where you're watching cat videos and you're laughing for four hours straight. Uh, you're watching stuff that has nothing to do with like personal finance or nothing to do with life uh, setting goals or any or um, maybe the field of work you're trying to get into. So if you're trying to be like a dentist, uh, that's what you should be watching, right? You should be watching uh, like surgeries and stuff like that um, in the dentist uh, industry or field of work, right? So that that's and uh, like that's where I got the idea for this topic was talking to him. And then my other friend would show me these videos of like this, uh, this very, very fat guy that would uh, make YouTube videos, timing himself drinking like two liter Coke bottles or um, eating like three Big Macs at McDonald's within a certain time, like, you know, like within like five minutes or two minutes. And, you know, he's lost in the YouTube world, right? Like those are things that are cool to watch, but they're not helping you. You're depreciating yourself. And, you know, the stuff that I watch on YouTube is nothing like that. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I've, 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 uh, I've done that before. And, you know, I might do it once in a while where I'll go on there and maybe for like an hour, I'll watch, uh, you know, like funny, funny videos or something. But I used to watch a lot of uh, BMX uh, videos, right? But the purpose I was watching those videos at the time was I was trying to get better at BMX and I wanted to get motivated in that, in that environment because I didn't have a lot of friends that were very good at BMX. And so I was watching these professionals pull off these crazy, crazy tricks, and it motivated me to go outside and actually start practicing those tricks. So at that time, it wasn't really depreciating information. At the time, it was actually appreciated information, right? But what I listened to, some examples I can give you is uh, I kind of told you, like, I'm very conservative, so I go and watch conservative news, um, which, you know, I, I really don't recommend. I don't watch a lot of news, by the way. Um, most people would probably consider that I watch a lot of news because I'm politically, um, aware of what's going on, but I really don't. Um, I, I really focus a lot of my attention on watching, um, 
any information that's like personal finance, like, like recently I've been watching a little bit of Dave Ramsey on how to clear debt faster. Uh, you know, I've, I've watched videos on interest rates. I've watched uh, videos on different market crashes. Uh, so like the great depression, I've watched like how investors, uh, take debt, how banks make money off debt. Uh, anything that's basically money related, I've probably watched something involving it. And that's because, you know, as a business owner, as someone that wants my personal finances to be in order, I need to collect information from other individuals that have history in, um, in that field, right? That have maybe have attempted certain things for 30 plus years and I can go and get information from that person. That's what I normally use YouTube for. I don't really use it to go and watch like little funny, stupid videos um, as much as probably the average person. I really use it to collect information appreciated information, uh, things, you know, like home inspections. Like I've watched a whole home, ins uh, home inspection, uh, from beginning to end, how the guy's walking through and he's walking through and he's like, all right, I'm testing this outlet and I'm, I got this amount on the Watts. Uh, I'm going on the roof right now. And you, as you can see, the roof's cracked and they need to replace this. So I'm trying to find information. Um, I've grouted the whole entire bathroom wall in my mom's bathroom. I, and I have zero experience. I've never grouted anything in my whole entire life. I grouted the wall. It's not perfect. Like I would not give it a hundred percent, but most people that go in there like, Oh man, it looks professionally done. But there's obviously a little things that I could have done better because it was my first time, but it came out almost like a professional. Like it, it literally came out. Uh, I don't think I could have probably done it any better my first time. Right. But I watched a YouTube video and I just did it step by step. And I paid attention to the information that was provided to me. And now I have experience with grouting tile, right? And that's kind of, um, I think that's what my friends do when they travel. I think they, I don't know if they get a, someone to grout it for them, but they do a lot of tile work. And I'm assuming, pretty sure they do do a little bit of grouting, but they do, they, they handle cement at least. I know that part where they're cementing the tiles down, but I think they do hire someone to grout for them or they have to get a third party involved. But anyways, the point is, uh, if you're going to go on YouTube, if you're going to go on the internet, try the best you possibly can to not watch depreciating type of information. You want to watch things that are going to appreciate uh, your brain. And the best advice I can say, and this is like a saying that I've created, which um, I'm sure like other motivational speakers have at some point in time have talked about and maybe created a similar saying, but I've, I haven't heard it yet, but my, my, um, my theory on it is uh, you depreciate or appreciate yourself. And if you're watching a lot of depreciating type of information and you just have a lot of, uh, you know, non, you know, information that just depreciates you, you're constantly depreciating as a human being and you're slowly killing yourself. Most people will probably have a hard time with what I just said, only for the fact of like, oh, like you're saying that because I'm watching this video, I'm killing myself. It doesn't make any sense. But what I mean logically is mentally, right? Your brain, you're depreciating your brain and your brain is the most important uh, body part within your, in your human body, right? The brain is so powerful. The mindset itself is so powerful. Um, the other day, like my, to give you an example of like how the mind is so powerful with the information is um, the other day, some of my coworkers were talking about dementia and old timers, and they were talking about how they never knew that it caused so many symptoms. And I said, yeah, but it makes sense because you, that 
in that type of disease and that type of illness, it, it attacks your brain and your brain can't function basically on its own anymore. And it's basically de- like um, tearing apart your brain. It's uh, I'm trying to think of that one. I had the word in my head and I, I totally lost it as I was trying to explain it to you. But um, deteriorating. Your brain starts deteriorating and that's because the disease attacks your, your nervous system basically. It attacks the brain and it just basically kills off your brain very, very slowly. And um, that's why it causes a lot of different symptoms that most people would not, you know, not really picture uh, dementia. Most people just think like, oh, you lose your memory, kind of forget who you are. Um, but, you know, they were saying like some, uh, sometimes they freak out. They it like cause them to have like panic attacks and stuff and fits. But all of that is because mental, right? It's all mental. They're, they're physically fine, right? They're physically fine. It's the mental ability that they're losing. They're losing themselves mentally and they can't, they can't distinct reality from fiction. And that's, that's the big issue with that disease. And that's how powerful your mind is, that that disease has that much power over you because mentally it's destroying you. Now, the, the point I want to make with this too is, um, you know, like, you, like depending on the information you're putting in your body or your mind, I said body, it's probably more mind, but uh, the information you're putting in your mind is either killing you slowly and it's holding you back. Cause I did a, I did a podcast. Uh, I think it was Wednesday. The one I did where I was talking about how information can basically, uh, help society or hold society down. And unfortunately we have a lot of information that we, you know, we don't necessitate, like we didn't, we didn't get that, uh, from, you know, a good source. We got that from banks or we got that from the government or we got something, you know, information from this source. And it was to hold society down so that they could make a lot of money off you or they could go and do something like diversifying your investments. You know, you can't, you know, diversifying is good if you're very, very wealthy, but you know, if you're someone that's small, someone like myself that probably doesn't have a lot, a lot of money, like I'm not wealthy at, at any means necessary. Um, you know, I can't afford to diversify my investments. I, I need more on my return. So I have to put all my eggs in one basket and make sure that basket goes in the right direction. Um, and you know, that, and they do that with stocks. Stocks was the biggest, um, the biggest thing with Wall Street. And every, and the crazy part is, you know, when I tell you that Wall Street controls stocks, you know, no one is shocked. Everyone's like, yeah, I, I know Wall Street controls the stock market. Uh, then why do you, you know, why then? How is it hard to believe that I'm telling you that diversification was created by Wall Street? Why is it so hard to believe that diversification was created by someone that wants your money? right? It's not a hard element once you really start thinking about it, but it's the same thing with college, right? College was created by the, you know, created by government and was potentially, you know, mainly, mainly helps the banks and it helps the government. Why? And you're asking yourself too, I guarantee you, you know, what is he talking about? Um, what does he mean by like the government, uh, makes, you know, makes benefit, you know, benefits off of me going to school or how does the bank benefit me going to school? Well, it's the, the financial debt that you're getting yourself into by going to college. And we know the education system is not good, right? The only time I would ever recommend someone to go to college is if you're trying to do a trade, like some type of trade school where they're, uh, it's hands-on or you're going medically into something, uh, like some type of medical field where you have to have the book knowledge. But if you're doing business, like most people are trying to do some type of business element, 
it, you're wasting a lot of your time. Um, and most people are probably like, well, uh, why then it, you just, you just boasted on this episode that you got a college degree and yeah, I did. Uh, originally when I, when I first went, you know, I had the same mindset as you. And then I started learning about it. Uh, the second thing I could tell you too, is, is the reason why, um, you know, I continued through it was I have zero college debt. I had someone else pay for my college degree and I don't mean my parents. I mean, uh, you know, other people basically paid for my money. I went and got scholarships. So other businesses formed together to give, uh, students some money for school for their debts. I went and got some government assistance, but I got a grant. And the difference between a grant and a loan is the grant is money the government will issue you, um, which you don't have to pay back. Yeah, you don't have to pay back the grants. And the loan is something where they're basically going to give you money, which you'll have to pay back at, with interest. And they rip you off on the interest. And they, and they basically hold you in financial debt for like almost your whole entire life trying to pay back those loans because... The more they can hold you and trap you in that debt, the more money they make off you long-term. So my point, my point being is uh, you got, you got to just be really careful with the information you're putting in your mind. You got to watch out for the sources. You got to watch out, uh, you know, for the, the type of information that you're receiving. Um, and you got to be careful and, and understand that you want, like understand where the certain people are coming from when they give you information. Like uh, when I heard about diversification, I heard it at a, a financial assembly for my corporate job right now. And they had a, a lunch and learn. And the guy was from a, um, the guy was from a financial institute where he's going to probably help you with your stocks. And, and he's probably going to give you a broker and he's going to probably help you um, keep track of all your stocks. The reason he's telling you that I diversify is because, you know, maybe he, maybe he thinks it's actually good, right? Maybe he believes it because that's the environment he's in and that's what he's been, you know, has been sh like shoved down his throat every single day because he works in a, uh, in a financial institute. So they're constantly shoving that down their throats, diversify, 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 right? Our customers need to diversify. We have to diversify their investments. And he's doing it obviously because he wants you to go and, and understand that you can't do it alone and that you need his help to manage your money and he'll make a fee off that. Um, so you got to be really careful where you're getting that information from. But the, the point is, you know, there's depreciating information and there's appreciate appreciated information, right? Something like a car, a car depreciates when you drive it. You know, the saying, you know, the saying is the best investment is in yourself. Um, there's two sayings that I can give you right now that might help you with this. But uh, the, the, one of the sayings and some of these are um, things I learned from Grant Cardone, but uh, I didn't create these on my own. But the first one is be careful. You want an open mind, but not a, not an extremely open mind. Uh, because if your mind's way too open, you're just collecting crap and you're storing all sorts of information that could be bad information. So you want to have an open mind, meaning like if I'm having a discussion with you and you have a different opinion or a different belief on something, I want to listen to you and try to process what you're saying. But if I have facts that back up that you're wrong and I'm like 100% sure that you're wrong, I'm not going to take your information and say that it's right. And I'm not going to withhold your information and live by those beliefs or those rules. Right. Um, but I'm open-minded to hearing you out. I want to hear what you have to say and I want to find some common ground in it. But if I know it's 100% wrong, 
um, I'm not going to take the information and withhold it within myself and, and, and create a belief out of it. Uh, so that's that. You don't want to be too open. The other thing I can give you, uh, what I was trying to say was, um, I kind of lost that train of thought on the other one, but that was the biggest one is you want to be careful with not being too open-minded where you're constantly listening to someone that maybe quit on themselves and they're like, oh, it's not possible for you to be uh, vice president of that company, or it's impossible for you to create your own business and make millions of dollars um, because maybe they tried and they quit on themselves and they're, and they're just basically giving you crappy information because they quit on themselves. So you want to be really careful. Now, we're going to go into Dundee Investments right now, and then I'm going to wrap it up. So for anyone that doesn't know, my name is Tyler Dunn. I own a company, Dundee Investments LLC, where the deal is already done. And what this company is designed to do is to designed to take a seller. I call them, um, mostly it works with distressed sellers. All that means is someone that financially can't sustain their property and needs some type of uh, resource or an assistant to help them get out of that debt. Now, what I all, what, now what the completed part of it is, is we help the distressed seller by matching them with an investor. So, sorry, my hands are in the wrong place. So the seller gets partnered up with an investor and the investor within our company um, I don't, obviously, uh, we work with the, the investor. I don't, I don't own the investor within the company, but they go and help that person get out by buying their house very, very fast, close fast on the house because they're already interested. We're all on the same page when we're going into the sale and that's what speeds up the process. Then, um, they'll give you, we'll, you know, negotiate a cash offer with you and the investor will pay that. And, uh, you know, done deal, done deal investments will help make that process smooth, but that's really what this company is designed to do is designed to help a seller sell their house very, very fast for a quick cash offer and help them move fast in the selling process. So there's no long waits. There's no, um, if, ands or maybes like it's guaranteed we're, we're, we're selling your house and we're helping you. And this really helps people that financially need the help. Um, that's really what this works best for. We can still do it if you want to sell your house and you don't have any financial issues with your house or any debt. We can still sell it very, very fast, but this really helps. This is really designed to help people that financially need the help. So how this works is it's um, a three-step process, right? That I call the three steps to financial freedom. Uh, before I continue that part, I do want to tell you who the, the types of financial uh, conditions that we can really help out with the best. First one is if you're behind on back taxes, if you're, um, you have some, a lot of liens on your property, or maybe you have one that consistently started collecting some interest and you can't get ahead. You have a job transfer where you have to move within the next week, or you have to, you have to move very, very quick in order to get to a different state or even a different city. That's a little bit farther away within that same state. Um, you inherited a house, which just means that, uh, you know, a loved one normally passes away and you get that you inherited that property within the will and you don't really know what to do with it. You've never sold a house before. Sometimes those houses are not well kept and they're not, they don't really reinvest the money back into the property because they're a little bit older and they tend to, you know, be like, yeah, whatever happens, happens type of vibe because, you know, they're older. Um, most of the time they don't really keep up with the maintenance in the house. So that we could also help you with. Uh, you're going through a very, very messy, messy, messy divorce, and you just want to sell that house very, very quick. Or, uh, and the last one is if um, maybe you, you don't want to deal with a real estate agent. You know, the, the market is very, very saturated with real estate agents. They charge high commission fees, most of them, 
and they take a long time to sell your property sometimes. Uh, you know, it's a very, very long process. Sometimes a month. I know the guy next door, I think recently sold this property, but was on the market for about two, maybe three months. Uh, it, it was, you know, I was out there for a, a decent amount of time and maybe you just want to sell it very, very fast. We could also help with that as well. Just selling it extremely fast for a quick cash offer. So how this works is going back. It's a three-step process, which I call the three steps to financial freedom. First step is you have to contact Dundeal Investments LLC, whether it's email, whether it's phone, whether it's text, whether it's our website and filling out a form for, for us to contact you back, whether it's any of the social media outlets, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, any outlet that you feel comfortable with, you have to contact Dundeal Investments LLC in some way, shape, or form. So that way I, the business owner, knows that you need assistance. Or maybe you, maybe you have a... Um, someone that's in your family or a close friend that you know needs the service and you want to just reach out and maybe give me their information. And I'll go and contact them myself. However you want to do it, that's, you know, I have to know that that person needs help or I, I it can't help them. That's, that's the first step. The second step is uh, once I, you know, ask you some very, very basic questions, um, the financial situation you're trying to get out of or whatever situation you're trying to get out of by selling the property fast and some uh, information on the property itself, you know, the financial conditions that it's in, you know, uh, what structure, structural condition it's in basically. Um, once I get that information, now we have to set up an appointment for me to go to that property. And I'm going to take five pictures. Once we get this, uh, you know, that, that, uh, appointment set up, I'm going to take five pictures inside and five pictures outside. So 10 pictures in total. And I'm going to bring an estimate sheet with me and it, I'm just going to mark down like, all right, we have broken windows. We have to fix. Uh, we have roof damage, we have mold, we have X, Y, and Z that we that the investor needs to fix. Now, the reason for the pictures is so when I go and find you an investor, I can just send them the pictures of the property. They don't have to walk your property. So we don't have all these investors coming over and basically trying to walk the property and look at it. I can send them all the pictures and I can send them the estimate, the estimated cost that it's going to take for them to get full market value on that property. This way, the investor is caught up. It's a faster process, um, and you don't have all that foot traffic in your house. So that's why I'm taking the pictures. That's why I'm coming and uh, walking the property, and you know, collecting information on what it's going to take for that investor to put some capital into that property to sell it. Now we're going to step three. So step three is um, now I'm going to run comps in your on your uh, your neighborhood. I'm going to try to get the average price, and from there I'm just going to deduct the investment cost that the investor has to put his capital into. And that's what we're going to negotiate on is that price, right? Once we come to the agreement to the price and you give me the terms that you need, like if you have to stay in your property for another three weeks, you have to stay on the property. Uh, and before you can do it, you have to use a real estate agent, you know, to go find whatever you need, you let me know and I'll work it with the investor. So that, that's my main job is to make sure the seller and the investor are on the completely the same page. So this makes the, the process of selling a lot smoother, right? It's, it's very smooth sailing uh, through that um, negotiation and through that, um, through that process of selling that property. I want it to be as smooth as possible. So that's my job mainly in this is to create the deal, put the deal together, Make sure everything goes smooth for the investor and the seller, mainly the seller, but you know the investor has to be okay with it too, right? Both parties have to be uh, in sync with each other in order for that deal to go through. Now, from here, 
what happens is uh, now, now it's done, right? So now let's say um, you agree to the, the terms and the policies. Now what's going to happen is we're going to sign the contract. So I'll sign the contract. The seller, which would be yourself, would sign the contract. And the investor would sign the contract. What happens is now the seller will get the cash offer that they negotiated and was promised to get in the contract. The investor, oh, and real quick before I go to the investor, the seller also will have some resources from me. So if the seller needs a real estate agent, they need an inspector, they need financing, whatever they need, I can go and, and get you the resources. I have most of those resources, but if we ever need more or I need another resource, it's my job to make sure that I get you those resources. So um, I already have certain people that can help me with basically all the stuff I just listed, but um, I have a lot of real estate agents, a lot of great people that I know that are very good real estate agents. Now, um, so that's the seller that's gonna benefit out of this deal. Now, the other thing too, real quick with the seller is this also helps them with their credit because normally the people that use this type of resource is um, people that you know financially got stuck in a mortgage. They're going through pre-foreclosure. Oh, that was another one I missed on the list before. But uh, they're going through like pre-foreclosure where they're behind on payments to the bank on the mortgage. And now the bank's going to repossess that house and they're going to lose everything and it's going to financially crush them. Um, they might have to, you know, might have to file bankruptcy. They might have to uh, lose the house and, and it screws up their whole entire credit, which credit is, um, you know, credit is the most important thing nowadays is you kind of need money. You got to um, get loans to make money nowadays, right? You got to use other people's money to make money. Um, now, uh, so this is a resource where it helps save all that. They don't have to go and, and file bankruptcy. They don't have to screw up their credit and try to rebuild it years upon year after year, trying to rebuild that credit back. And this will help them be able to move on with their lives and, and, and be okay. Now, the investor is going to make money on the deal because he's going to flip it, right? All the information I gave him, he's going to use to go and find contractors and he's going to have the capital to flip that house and put it on the MLS system and make a, and make a, um, you know, a main profit off that, off that investment. Now done deal investments. And this is the coolest part. will make a commission fee, which we call a finder's fee, but we will get paid by the investor, not the seller. So you don't have to worry about paying done deal investments commissions. Uh, you don't have to worry about paying, you know, more money off of that cash offer that we offered you and that we gave you. Um, the investor will pay done deal investments a commission fee, which is the coolest part of the whole entire thing. The whole entire process is, is the coolest thing because the investor doesn't, or the seller doesn't have to worry about paying done deal investments. So um, that's basically like the whole entire process. Now, my idea with done deal investments, what I really want to scale it to is make it a business where we have all types of resources for property owners and investors, but mainly right now, uh, my main focus is property owners, sellers, right? Or people that um, own properties. And the reason for that is there's resources for investors, but there's not a lot of resources for property owners in real estate or people that, you know, are financially struggling or someone that wants to better themselves within a property. There's not a lot of resources. The only thing that's really available is a bank and the bank really just helps with the financing. And from there, they don't really do much after the financing part. They, um, you know, they'll help you with the financing, but then if you're late behind, you know, you're behind on your mortgage, they're not going to help you past that point. They're going to say, we already helped you. We gave you the loan. Uh, you didn't commit to your part on this contract with uh, paying, you know, the financial part of it. 
and you know it, it is what it is we're going to repossess it and basically move on and 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 screw you over basically so i want to create resources where i can help that homeowner further on where we have real estate agents we have home inspections we have financing uh, we have different departments within Dundee Investments that will help that distressed seller move on to the next phase in buying a home. And ultimately, it can help more people than just distressed sellers at that point. It can help a lot of different individuals that own properties and maybe want to, and this will help investors, right? Inspection reports will help investors. It'll help real estate uh, agencies. It'll help a lot of different people out and it'll, it'll, just, it'll make buying uh, a home buying process a lot faster because everything's in one place. It's not in, um, it's not in different departments. You don't have to go to six different other, uh, departments or companies to go and get uh, a home purchased, right? Cause that's the big thing. It's a long lengthy process. When you go and try to buy homes, you have to go and get a real estate agent. You then have to go and get the, the, the home that the real estate agent found inspected to make sure it's a good investment for you. You then have to go to a bank or some type of financial um, advisor or not an advisor, but some place to go and get financial help to go and to get a mortgage on it. Because most people um, don't have the money to just put, you know, straight out and buy it. They have to go and get financial help and get a mortgage. Uh, so there's different elements, right? That I, I want to create in done deal investments where I can help a lot more people make the, the home buying process a lot, uh, a lot faster. And help people that really need the help that really need uh, a resource when they go and buy property or um, investors, you know, different elements where I can help a lot of different people that I constantly just keep on thinking of ideas. And I'm like, this would be brilliant to put this here or this or this. Now the problem with it is it's, it, it's a very lengthy process to get all that stuff together. And you know, you're, you're dealing with a lot of different elements in that. So, you know, the time consumption on it's going to be um, lengthy to get all that stuff together but right now I can help distress sellers or anyone that wants to sell their house fast. I can do that right now. The next thing I'm working on is home inspections, uh, which, you know, I, I, I was quoting before like four months. I don't think it's going to be four months. It's probably gonna be longer. Uh, there's just a lot of elements to home inspections that I have to get qualified. I have to get probably, uh, I don't know if I have to get different insurance than I have right now. Um, but you know, I have to, I probably have to do a couple different things right now within my business to structure the home inspection. You know, then I have to go, it, there's, it, it's a lot of stuff that I have to do in order to be qualified to do the home inspection. So, and I got to learn about them. I got to learn, um, you know, what type of inspections that I, I would need in Florida. What are the most popular ones? There's a bunch of different elements that I'm going to get done, but I'm going to update you once I get that done. Um, and then I'm going to start marketing some free home inspections. Uh, you know, I was kind of doing it before, you know, if you still want to be put on a list, I'll, I'll still put you on a, a, a pre-service list, which I call a pre-service list where um, I'll, I'll create a list where once I get certified in home inspections, you'll be one of the first people I contact to get a free home inspection. Um, and typically home inspections are between $150 to I believe like $200, right? Uh, typically in that price range. And the good thing is um, you're going to want a home inspection, whether you already have a home, whether you're looking to go and buy a property and you want it inspected uh, either way, even if you're just a property um, owner, you're going to want a home inspection. They save you a lot of money in the long run. First of all, um, if you if you own a property, this is three three reasons why you would want a home inspection, right? The first reason would be it'll save you money while you're investing into that property for whenever you want to sell that property down the road. 
what I mean by that is if you're just sinking money into different things that you, you don't have the knowledge on like, oh, this is 15 years old and probably needs to be replaced, like a water heater or um, the roof kind of looks damaged and you've never gone on your roof before and like you have leaks now, now mold's going to fold uh, within your roof and within like your walls and stuff. Um, you know, like certain elements like that where you're like, you're not really, you got to kind of be an expert or a knowledgeable person to understand like what's going on to what should I really invest my money into in this property? That's where the home inspection will come into place. You'll know exactly where to invest your money in that property. Um, you'll, you'll um, not waste a lot of money, thousands of thousands of dollars in things that you probably really shouldn't have invested in. Uh, the other thing is if you have a warranty company, most property owners have a warranty company and sometimes the warranty company gets it wrong because what happens is, and I work in a warranty company right now, this happens all the time. We deny people all the time because what happens is we go and get a service provider. They look at, let's say your water heater and they go, oh, it's pre-existing conditions. The warranty company will not cover that because it's pre-existing and the service provider messed up and said it's pre-existing. Now, if you would have had a home inspection, then you can fight it and dispute it and send the home inspection, the full home inspection and be like, hey, it was never labeled as pre-existing condition and get it overturned and have the warranty company reimburse you for that cost of that water heater or any element within your home. That's the second reason how we can save you a lot of money. Now, a home inspection. Now, the third one would be if you're going to purchase a property, most of the time, like 99, like 90% to like 95% of the time, you get a home inspection. The reason is, let's say you get a really good deal on the home and you're like, okay, it looks like a really good deal, but is from the outside, it looks like a good deal. But what about the inside? And sometimes what will happen is um, like there's a lot of maintenance issues with inside, like inside the property with appliances and different elements with the structure of it. Sometimes there's different elements within the home where if you're not knowledgeable and you don't really know what to look for, um, you could buy that property and end up spending thousands upon thousands of dollars trying to refinance that property or fix that property back up. And you weren't planning on it. You just spent you know, a lot of money buying that property and you don't have any more money saved to go in and do these expensive uh, repairs on that property. And owning a home is very, very pricey. It's, it's a lot of uh, maintenance. A lot of, you know, elements are not cheap. Uh, there, we got like a, I got a warrant uh, service provider the other day that basically quoted like a, um, a water heater for like 16 grand. And I think it was like top of the line water heater, but you know, that, that's, that's a water heater. And the average water heater that I've seen was like two to three grand. A lot of people don't even have $400 saved in their savings account. Right? So the point is the home inspection is probably one of the most important elements of buying a home and owning a property, right? Is that home inspection. It saves you a lot of money doesn't seem like it. It's like insurance, right? Insurance doesn't, it seems like you're throwing a lot of money down the drain until eventually you need that insurance, insurance to help you out. And they, they help you tremendously, right? But so that's, that's my goal with uh, done deal investments, LLC. Now um, I'm going to wrap this up. I do appreciate everyone that has joined this podcast, uh, episode 87 of goals and updates. I appreciate it. Um, if you know anyone that needs help financially with their property or just wants to sell their house very, very fast, have them reach out to Dundee Investments, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's someone that you just met off the street or just overheard someone talking about, mention Dundee Investments LLC, and I can personally help those people out. 
Uh, thank you for watching episode 87 of Goals and Updates. My name is Tyler Dunn with Dunn Deal Investments, LLC, where the deal is already done. Peace.